Would you join with me as we pray together? Bow your heads as I lead us. Lord Jesus, sin had left a crimson stain. Oh, Lord, but even that language is almost too colorful. Oh, Lord, sin had destroyed us. Uh, It had killed us. It had left us focused on ourselves, uh, Lord God, with no hope in this world. Uh, But Jesus, your love and your grace has rescued us. We are white as snow. Uh, Lord God, we praise you and thank you for that. Lord, we've gathered here in this place as your children coming together to be fed by you. Lord, our souls are hungry for a word from you. We thirst for your presence. Uh, Lord God, would you now through your spirit feed us with bread from heaven, living water that we might be able to be streams of living water uh, to those around us. Lord, you have something to teach us this morning. You have something to show us. Lord God, you have an opportunity to glorify yourself and to testify as to what you've been doing in this world and how it is that you work in our lives. And God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, I pray for a miraculous intervention of your spirit this morning that we might be able to understand that which we would not be able to understand on our own. And more than anything else, each person may be able to leave here today hearing from you the God of heaven, who though you are invisible, speak to us day by day, moment by moment. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to take a little survey this morning, and in just a minute, if this is true of you, I'm going to ask you to stand and remain standing for a few minutes, if you're willing. What I'm going to ask is, as I'd like to know how many of you have experienced some form of miraculous physical healing. Now, what I mean by that, and I don't want to try to define it too much, because I'd rather, if you think you have, then I want to say that's what we're looking for. But perhaps you've experienced someone praying over you, uh, like you heard in the testimony this morning, and you were miraculously uh, cured or healed of whatever it may be. Perhaps there was medical intervention, but somehow along the way, doctors or nurses or whoever said, you know, we've not ever seen it work out exactly like this, or clearly something was involved, or even if they didn't say it, if you felt, you know what? This was a miracle from the Lord. Again, I'm leaving it up to you. I'm going to ask if you're able and if you're willing, if that's been your experience, you've had some miraculous physical healing, would you please stand and stay standing for a moment? So I feel what you feel. Now, please stay standing for a minute. When we look around, that's amazing. Is it not? It's great to know that our God doesn't just heal people in the pages of Scripture. This is, he's still doing this today. He's still engaged. And I'm overwhelmed with the fact, what an amazing God we have. What an amazing God we have. But this, look around again. This also raises... Two questions for me. First, why is there anyone standing in this room at all? In other words, why are people miraculously physically healed? Like why does God choose to do this? Behind each one of the people standing, there is a story. Why did God choose to work this way in these lives? The second question, why doesn't he do this all the time? In other words, when we ask people to stand, 
Why is the number who are standing greater than zero, but less than everyone? Those are the two questions we want to talk about and think about today. Why does God choose to miraculously heal today some people? And why does God not choose to miraculously heal everyone? So thank you for testifying. You may be seated. We have a story that we'd like to look at from the Gospel of Mark that I believe God wants to use to help us answer those two questions. So please, if you will, take a Bible. If you don't have one, there should be one in the rack in front of you. And turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, page 813 in the church Bibles. Mark chapter 2, and we want to answer the questions... Why do people get physically miraculously healed today, and why doesn't everyone? Mark 2, I'm going to read a story from verses 1 to 12. Please follow along as I read. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Same way we felt as people around us stood testifying that God has done amazing things. Well, when you first read this story, it seems like a pretty straightforward healing story. We've already had in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus miraculously cast out a demon of a man in the synagogue. He miraculously healed Peter's mother-in-law of her fever and sickness. He miraculously healed a man with leprosy. Now we get to Mark chapter 2 and we think the healing goes on. Another great healing story. And it is. But there are two clues in this story that tell us that Jesus is wanting us to understand something new, something different about how healing works and its purposes in this world. The first clue is in verse number two. They're gathered together in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. You may remember, and if you don't, look back in chapter one, verse 38. You may remember that when Jesus was doing all of this healing in chapter 1, the crowds were gathered because this guy could heal and cast out demons at will. And Jesus, while everybody is wanting his attention, gets up early in the morning, 
went off to a solitary place and he prayed. And while he's praying, God, re, the Father, refocuses him on his mission. And Jesus says in verse 38, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And we have the indication that although Jesus did physically heal people, that ultimately his purpose in coming in his first advent, his first coming, was not simply to physically heal everyone. That when everybody's lined up outside the door and he heals many of them, we find out that that's not ultimately his purpose. His ultimate purpose is to preach. And in chapter two, what's interesting is the crowds have gathered not for a healing service, but for a preaching service. That's what Jesus is up to. He's in the middle of preaching, which tells us that this healing is taking place in the context of Jesus doing his true mission, which is preaching. The second indication is that when the man is lowered into the middle of the room, Jesus says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, son, you are healed, which tells us the second clue that this passage is wanting to teach us something more than just the fact that Jesus healed people. There's something going on here. Now, picture with me the scene, if you will. It says Jesus is preaching to them. What's he preaching? Well, we don't know the exact words that he's saying, but we've been told so far in Mark's gospel that he came proclaiming the good news. He preached the gospel, and the good news is the kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe. We're also told that his mission was to tell people and make possible for God's presence to flood our lives through the Holy Spirit. So it's a good bet that Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God, repentance for sins, the power of the Holy Spirit to bring forgiveness, and he's in the middle of the sermon preaching, and there starts to be some scratching above his head. Some dirt begins to fall in. Pretty soon, a shovel point sticks through. Light begins to stream in. Of course, everybody looks up. I was gonna tell you, we actually tried to see, is there any way we could do something like that? We paid a lot of money for the roof, and so we decided no. <laughs> and the catwalk, I did consider like the catwalk, like maybe we could lower somebody. Now, it didn't work. But in the middle of Jesus' sermon, there is a hole opened up in the roof, and four men lower down a friend on a stretcher. Now, the thing is, is when you read this story, you don't get a sense that it was disrupting the sermon. You don't get a sense that Jesus is like, whoa, what is going on? You almost get the sense that he got to the point in the sermon when he needed an illustration, and the heavens open up, and down comes the illustration. If that's the case, that this man is an illustration in a bigger sermon that Jesus is preaching, the question is, well, what's he illustrating? What's the point that Jesus is trying to make that the illustration from heaven lowers down at just the right time where Jesus says, 
let me make this point even more strongly. Here comes the man, son, your sins are forgiven. What's he trying to illustrate? Well, let's ask this question. What do we know about the guy who's coming down from the sky? Well, not much. In fact, you could actually say nothing. This man says nothing as he's lowered into the middle of his room. He doesn't move. In fact, he's actually not involved in the story at all until the very end. Jesus talks to him and Jesus talks about him, but it's not till the very end when Jesus looks at him and says, take up your mat and walk, that the man actually responds and does something that we can see visibly. So we don't know anything about him, and in fact, he's lowered down into the middle of the sermon, and he's immobile, not speaking, not moving, and one more really, really important thing that he's not doing. Look with me in verse four. Since they, who's the they? The four men, his four friends, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening, who's the they? Four men, yep. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, Who's the there? The four friends. See, we got four friends who are lowering a man. They, they, there. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? The four friends. So what does that mean this man doesn't have as well? No speech, no movement, no faith. It's not his faith that's got him into that room. We don't have a sense that he talked to his four friends. Come on, if you could just get me in front of Jesus, he'll heal me. You get the sense that the four friends said, look, if we don't do something to try to help our buddy, he's going to stay like this forever. We got to get him to Jesus. So what's the man illustrating? He's illustrating what, G what Paul says in Ephesians 2. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. The man is illustration of spiritual paralysis. Now, I'm an engineer, so you have to bear with me. I got a little chart here to try to help map out what it is that I'm trying to say. So, first of all, you've got a man with physical paralysis, okay? But he's being lowered into the room as an illustration in the sermon that Jesus is preaching about the repent and believe the kingdom of God has drawn near. And what we're meant to understand is that his physical paralysis is a sign pointing to a deeper reality, which is that he is spiritually paralyzed. His physical paralysis is a sign that something is wrong deeper spiritually. He's not speaking, he's not moving, he has no faith. Now please hear me carefully. I do not believe that this person was paralyzed because of a sin he committed. I believe that he was allowed by God to be physically paralyzed, whether it happened at birth or whenever, to draw attention to the fact that he had a deeper spiritual paralysis. That's the real problem. He has no faith. So the man lowers from heaven. Just as Jesus is saying, repent and believe, 
just as Jesus is talking about that the Holy Spirit brings forgiveness from God, here comes the illustration, and Jesus looks at the man and he says, son. It's a very compassionate address. We actually don't have a lot of examples in the Gospels where Jesus addresses someone as son or daughter. When we find them, they're extreme examples of his compassion. We talked about that last week. Here it is. Here's this paralytic man who is spiritually dead. And Jesus' first comment to him is, I love you, son, daughter. It's a compassionate address. Your sins are forgiven. So this physical paralysis is a sign pointing to a spiritual paralysis. Into that spiritual paralysis, Jesus speaks a miraculous word and he miraculously heals the man spiritually. In one sentence, son, your sins are forgiven. Now we have the sense that the man has to accept that by faith, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word that Jesus preaches. And when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, we've had this sermon about, well, when the kingdom of God draws near, repent and believe and you will have eternal life and the Holy Spirit will come and bring forgiveness of sins. And here comes this man and Jesus looks at the man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. The man hears and believes and a miracle occurs and he is born again. He's given new life. Miraculous spiritual healing follows the words of Jesus. Well, some people in the audience don't like the sermon. They were good with point one, love the kingdom of God, good with that. They were good with point two, yeah, who's not for the Holy Spirit? Love it, Old Testament, great stuff. Point three, your sins are forgiven. No, 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 we don't like that point. Why? Well, because it is saying that Jesus has authority as God himself to forgive sins. And so they think to themselves, who's this man? Now the irony is while they're thinking that, Jesus is reading their minds. And then he asked them a question. And we got to track with me on this question because it's a little bit complicated, but I think it's important. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and walk? So Jesus is playing physical healing against spiritual healing, and he's asking, which one is easier? Now, stay with me. Which one's easier to say? Let's start there. Now, on one level, the question, which one's easier to say, if you think about the words themselves, it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven. I can do it right now, watch this. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Right there, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. It's not that hard to say. Why? You have no idea if anything happened. I will just claim something momentous just happened in those four people's lives. Well, what proof do you have? That was pretty simple, I could do that all day long. I could charge you for that. People have done that in the history of the church. It's easy. Why? Nobody knows if it's true or not. In that sense, if I actually started walking around saying, get up and walk, well, that's a little trickier to say. Why? Everybody's going to look and see, did that just happen? 
So on one level, the easier thing to say is your sins are forgiven. On another level, which one is easier to say and actually pull off? Well, now, get up and take up your mat and walk. That's easier to say and actually do. There are lots of people before Jesus. There are people after Jesus, doctors and nurses included, who have healed people. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. It happens. There's only one in the history of mankind that has the authority to actually forgive sins. And in order for Jesus to declare sins forgiven, he as very God of very God is going to have to give his life on a cross, die, experience the fullness of death and be raised from the dead to have the right to say your sins are forgiven. So at that level, the harder thing to say and actually do is your sins are forgiven. So Jesus says, look, I don't want you to think I'm just saying words. Watch what he does. Verse 10, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, I don't want you to think that I'm just flippantly saying words as if these have no meaning. I want you to know that I'm actually doing the thing that I said I was doing, that these sins are actually forgiven. Well, what's he going to do to prove that? So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Do you see what happened? There is a physical healing, but the physical healing ends up being a proof or a sign that the miraculous spiritual healing took place. How do we know that Jesus wasn't just saying, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, but that actually people were being forgiven? He heals the man physically as evidence or proof that he did what he said he did spiritually. Does that make sense? The physical healing is proof that the spiritual healing took place. With this in mind, we're now ready to answer our two questions. First, why does anybody get miraculously healed today? For the same reason this man got miraculously healed. It is necessary to have physical, tangible evidence to prove that the spiritual, invisible miracle has taken place. It still functions the same way. When those of us, brothers and sisters here, stood up at the beginning of the sermon, you are testifying that the God who healed you physically is the God who forgives our sins in Jesus on the cross. And it's necessary to have that kind of testimony even today. Because we struggle with the same thing they struggled with. You're forgiven, are those just words? Did something actually happen? And so God continues to physically, miraculously heal people today as evidence that spiritual healing has taken place. But that raises the second question, which is the harder question. Why doesn't everyone get miraculously healed physically? The answer to that question is harder but I think this passage is very important for understanding it. And the answer is, 
Physical healing is not ultimately the goal. The goal is spiritual healing. You see, this man, a year later, or two, or 10, or 20, got sick and he died. And the physical healing that he experienced on this day was a blessing to him. But ultimately, he still ended up dying. The spiritual healing that he got before the physical healing, that was a blessing to him on this day as well. He was freed from the bitterness. He was freed from the sin. He was freed from the guilt. He was freed from the shame. He was given a real relationship with the God of the universe that began that day and continued on through to the day of his death. And on the day of his death, the fact that his sins had been forgiven back then meant that Jesus himself came and raised this man from the dead and has given him eternal life. And he is currently with Jesus in heaven forever and ever, which means that the spiritual healing he experienced was far more valuable, far more powerful, far more wonderful than the physical healing. Why doesn't everybody get a physical healing? Because the physical healing is not ultimately the goal in this life. So what is the purpose of the physical healing? It's a sign. Not everybody in that room got healed, but they all got to see someone else get healed. So it is that God has many different ways of testifying to the reality of the spiritual miracle that's taken place. See, I put this chart up here because I want to put some parallel charts. So watch these charts and see if they don't fit in with this pattern. This one. Let's imagine we have a story where someone experiences monetary bankruptcy. Monetary bankruptcy is allowed by God as a sign that something else is going on spiritually. It can be spiritually bankrupt. In which case, Jesus speaks the word, son, your sins are forgiven. That is a miraculous spiritual event which causes a person to become spiritually enriched. And sometimes God gives evidence that that has happened by performing a monetary miracle. I could have asked this morning, how many of you have experienced a miraculous intervention by God in your finances? And if I had asked you to stand, some of you would have stood and others would not. How about the next chart? Broken relationships with human. God allows us to go through broken relationships with parents, with family, with friends, whatever they may be, as a sign pointing to the deeper reality is that all of us as sinners have a broken relationship with God. When God speaks the words to a son or daughter, your sins are forgiven, that brings us salvation, which is a restored relationship with God. And sometimes God gives evidence of that restored relationship with God by miraculously healing broken relationships. If I asked how many of you have had a broken relationship miraculously healed by God, some of you would stand and others would remain seated. What about this next chart? An academic crisis. That can be a pointer to a spiritual crisis. God can speak into that spiritual crisis and bring spiritual rescue. And sometimes he proves that he did something spiritually by bringing about an academic miracle. And if, again, if I ask this morning, how many of you have had God intervene in a miraculous way in your academics? 
Some would stand and some would remain seated. Next one, emotional death. When we struggle with paranoia or fear or anxiety or whatever things in which our emotions get shut down, that is a sign that something is wrong spiritually, that we're separated from God. Into that spiritual death, Jesus speaks the words, son or daughter, your sins are forgiven. We experience spiritual resurrection, and sometimes God gives evidence of that spiritual resurrection by miraculously healing us from fear, from anxiety, from doubt, from discouragement, from depression. And if I asked you this morning, how many of you have experienced a miraculous healing from depression or discouragement or anxiety or paranoia? Some of you would stand and some would remain seated. Last one. What about this chart? Enslavement to alcohol, drugs, food, pornography. When those things are in our life, they can be a sign that something is spiritually broken, that we're enslaved to sin. When God speaks the words, we receive freedom from God, meaning God gives us freedom from those things. And then often will evidence that by miraculously breaking a sin stronghold on our life. And if I ask this morning, how many of you had a miraculous intervention from God in an alcohol addiction or a pornography addiction or a drug addiction or a food addiction? Some of us would stand and some would remain seated. Here's the point. All those physical miracles, emotional miracles, Monetary miracles, academic miracles. All those things are signs pointing to the deeper issue. And that why does God not choose to use physical miracles for all of us? Because he's using monetary miracles in other cases. He's using emotional miracles in other cases. He's using relational miracles. But all those things serve one purpose, which is to prove that the deeper, more important thing has happened, that through Jesus we have eternal life. I don't know why he chooses to give some miraculous physical healing and others miraculous monetary healing and others emotional healing. I don't know why he makes those choices that he does. But I do know that none of us get miraculous interventions in all of these areas. But all of us get some level of God engaging with us to demonstrate and prove to us that we do have eternal life, that our sins have been forgiven. So what's this mean for us today? Four applications for four different kinds of people or four different situations today. Number one, if you're not a Christian, you need to understand that the physical crisis you're going through now the monetary crisis you may be experiencing, the emotional crisis that's going on in your life, the academic crisis, whatever it may mean, you need to understand that God has allowed that in your life. He didn't cause that. He's allowed that in your life to get your attention to point to the fact that there is a deeper spiritual need that you have. You're not going through the physical crisis or the monetary crisis because you're being punished by God. It's been allowed in your life to wake you up to the fact that you have a broken relationship with God. And for you this morning, Jesus wants to say to you, son, 
your sins are forgiven. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. And if today you have been spiritually dead, you've been spiritually asleep, you've not spoken, you've not moved, you have no faith, if today you hear Jesus speak to you, son, your sins are forgiven. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. And you accept that to be true, then you receive from him eternal life. That may manifest itself in a physical healing or a monetary healing. It may not. But if today you hear him say to you, your sins are forgiven, then you know you have the better gift, which is eternal life. And that whatever it is that you're going through now, physical, monetary, academic, emotional, that God will support you in that and someday will come and make all things right when he returns. But the more important issue is where do you stand spiritually with God? Second, if you're already a Christian and you struggle with the fact of whether or not you're forgiven for your sins, this passage is meant for you this morning And the people who stood up at the beginning of the service are the testimony to you that you are indeed forgiven. How does Jesus prove to you that when he says you're forgiven, you're actually forgiven? He chooses to physically, miraculously heal people. And this morning, when you looked around, and saw testimonies that people have been miraculously physically healed today, you can know whether or not you've had a miraculous physical healing. You can know that if the God who heals them says to you, your sins are forgiven, then your sins are forgiven. And whether you feel like they're forgiven or don't feel like you're forgiven, Jesus is saying, I have the authority to forgive your sins. I have declared them forgiven. And when you say, how do I know that's true? He says, look around. If I have healed people physically, not just in Mark 2, but in your very congregation, people that you know, if I'm active doing that, then you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, absolutely true, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You don't have to keep bringing up those sins from the past. You don't have to keep thinking my life is turning out poorly because of my decisions. You don't have to keep saying, what if I hadn't done this? You don't have to keep saying, but I'm not good enough. Jesus has declared your sins forgiven and he brought you here this morning to prove it to you. Don't be afraid. You're forgiven. He remembers them no more. They're separated from you as far as the east is from the west. And if you struggle to believe that, just simply pray, Lord, help my unbelief. Number three, maybe you're here and you're one of the four friends. We didn't talk about those guys very much, but they're important. Maybe you have somebody in your life that's going through an academic crisis or a medical crisis or an emotional crisis, and you know they're going through that because God is trying to get their attention to the deeper spiritual crisis that they have, but you can't seem to get through to the person. It's like they're dead. You talk to them, and you pray for them, and you try to give them things to help them, and they won't pay any attention. Here's the encouragement for you. Your faith can work miracles in their life. 
that you testifying and inviting them, come to church with me. You're encouraging them to go get prayed over by the elders. You sharing your healing story with them. The amazing thing here is, is that these men's faith opened the door for Jesus to speak to the spiritually dead man. And I just want to encourage you, your faith can allow Jesus to speak into the lives of others. All he needs is an opening. And we think to ourselves, how is a spiritually dead person going to give him an opening? We get to give him the opening. And when we believe for them, Jesus can use that opening to speak to them. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Don't be afraid to share the testimony of your healing, of your monetary rescue, of the emotional miracle, of your freedom from addiction. When you share those testimonies, you are believing for them and opening the door for Jesus to speak directly to them. And fourth and finally, if you've not yet received a miraculous physical healing, I want to say to you, I know what it's like to long for that tangible manifestation of God's miraculous power in your life and to not have it come yet. I know what it's like to see other people stand and say, man, I'm really glad for them, but I want that for me too. And my encouragement to you this morning is this. Focus on what God might be doing spiritually in and through the physical difficulty or the monetary difficulty or the emotional difficulty because it's possible that while you are longing so hard to hear him say, take up your mat and walk, he may be saying, my son or my daughter, your sins are forgiven. And that is the more powerful, the more beautiful, the more loving, the greater thing. And if we're listening for one thing, we may miss that he's saying something else. We're almost out of time, so we're going to skip our final song. I'm going to pray, and then Tom's going to come and close our service. Would you bow your heads as I pray? Lord Jesus, I ask right now, for those who are here who need to hear this word from you. You brought us here this morning so that each one of us might hear, son or daughter, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, I praise you that you have authority to make all things right. I praise you that you have the authority, oh Lord God, to heal. And I ask, Lord, that every miracle that you do would indeed point us to the greater spiritual reality. We are lost and broken people but you of your own love and grace have come and rescued us. And you've left us signs proving the reality of what you've done. For those who are here who do not know that or have not accepted that, would you today create faith in their hearts? For those who have heard it and accepted it but are having trouble believing it, would you today help our unbelief? God, allow us in our faith to see that you are among us doing far greater things spiritually than we'll ever be able to hope for or imagine. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.